as you're turning there, one of the greatest um, triggers actually to memory is the sense of smell. You may not have known that, but it's actually a scientific thing. It's actually proven. And I can vividly recall uh, when I was a young child riding in a car with my parents in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was going through a part of town that I wasn't as familiar with and uh, didn't travel there as often. But all of a sudden, I began to, to, to smell something. There was this aroma that began to just kind of fill the area and fill the car. And I recognized, and my parents had to explain to me, that's the bread factory here in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And it was just this amazing sense. And to this day, I really don't know how quite to get back because it's, again, a part of town I don't normally go. But every now and again, whenever I'm back in Tulsa and I get to that area of town for whatever reason, it's one of those smells, it's one of those things that immediately I'm, I'm brought back to. And so I wanted to, if I could, I, I wanted to pipe in the, the smell of bread. And I realized that that would probably do two things. One, it would make you hungry and you would be completely distracted and I'd lose you for the rest of the time. And the other was, uh, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. And so what I did do is uh, I went and I got some bread and um, uh, I'm, you're not going to want this later because I'm going to have my hands all over this. But uh, for, for today's purposes, what we're looking at is just the importance and just the uh, the value that bread has. And for a lot of us, I know we're in a uh, kind of a carb-free culture and society right now. Ooh, carbs, but bread, delicious. And um, it's one of those things that that this is such a staple for so many individuals throughout the centuries, throughout history, that is bread. And as we're looking today and we're going through this I Am series, what we're going to be looking at is that Jesus is making the statement today that I am the bread of life. And for us, sometimes we maybe immediately go to a loaf of bread and we're like, what kind of metaphor and picture is Jesus trying to describe? And to a degree, I think we grasp it today in 2022, but there's also... uh, a historical bridge, a contextual bridge that we kind of have to go back so that we can cross and really kind of put ourselves in the midst of that time and that period because um, it's just different for us whenever we think of bread than whenever they thought of bread because of just the times that we live in. And so uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to read actually a large chunk of Scripture this morning because I was going to break it up, but what we're going to do today is we're going to see this main idea that Jesus is the bread of life, but, but as we do, Instead of breaking this up, we're, we're going to read the entirety, and I really just want you as best as you can. I, I know you all have so much going on in your life, but sometimes when we read Scripture, we, we look at it from just almost like this scholarly, just we're going we're gonna to nitpick it apart, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But for now, just immerse yourself in the story. Uh, try to put yourself in the feet or in the seats of, of the crowd that is there, and just hear the words of Jesus. And the words that are kind of startling to you, they were startling to them. The things that he's saying that seem like, what, what is he talking about? They're saying, well, what is he talking about? And to give you just a brief bit of context, he's just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with how many fish? How many fish? Two. Very good. How many loaves of bread? Very good. Five. A little interaction. Good job. And so... What we have is they've just experienced this incredible miracle. Uh, We don't have time to get into the point of Jesus walking on water, but now they've come together. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 26, I'm going to read verse 25. uh, It says, when they had found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, Well, what shall we do, underline that word, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe, underline that, that you believe in him who has sent, whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which, note this, comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. You're going to see that phrase many times, comes down out of heaven. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus replied to them the first time. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he had said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven. Well, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. So these things he said in the synagogues as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Pray with me. Father, Father, even though we... uh, We are here to want to hear from you and study your word at times when we read your word. 
We know that it's good. We know that it's true. But at times, there can be statements that are hard and difficult. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us in in our time this morning, that we would want to just simply hear from you as to what you have to say to us, your truth, that it would set us free. But ultimately, Lord, that we would know Christ, that we would know Jesus, that he is the one who has come down and that he is the bread of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hang with me because what we did is we read through the entirety of that and then we're going to take a look at different aspects and sections of this kind of in different parts as well because what Jesus is doing is he's teaching a truth and uh, a, a, a tried and true tested method of teaching is repetition. And you'll notice that multiple times he's saying some things that sounds like you just said that but maybe you're saying it exactly the same way or a little bit differently, and it's true. I think he understands that what he's articulating to this crowd of people is they have an idea and an expectation in their mind of this is what we want from Jesus. And Jesus is coming along and saying, I know that, but I want you to know this about me. And so I'm going to have to teach it to you and then teach it to you again and then come back to it and repeat it a couple of times so that it begins to settle in so that you can know it, so that it can it can make some sense to you. And so, again, to give you a little bit of context, as I mentioned before, Jesus begins John chapter 6. The whole chapter is the feeding of the 5,000. It's just 5,000 men. doesn't include the women and the children. And what he does is as he leaves that scene, uh, his disciples get on a boat to go to a different port, to a different part. And Jesus is like, I'll catch you later. He does. He walks on water. He gets into their boat. He makes it to the other side. And the crowds are just trying to find Jesus. It says that they are seeking after him because they've just experienced as a large, large group of people, we're hungry and you took two fish and five loaves of bread, and you fed us all, and there were leftovers. Like, this is remarkable, so much so that they wanted to force him and make him to go ahead and just be their ruler. And that's when he kind of gets out of there, because he's like, that's not what I've come to do on the earth this time. Second time when he comes back, that'll be a little bit different. But at this point, they're, they're, they're excited about this, but, but their, their excitement is actually going down a path that Jesus is saying, no, 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 uh, we, we got to get you back on track. So the crowd is pursuing Jesus because of physical needs being met. And what I mean by that is not just physical needs in the sense of hunger. I think we all get that the idea that their, their stomachs, their bellies were filled. But in that day and time, this would have been quite the financial need that was being met. I know for many of us, when it comes to uh, our life and just because of how we are abundantly blessed, even if you're on the lower end of an economic scale, uh, we don't tend to be as concerned or worried about food as the most of history has been throughout all of history. The way that people got their food is they farmed it. They didn't get it out of a package. It wasn't in cellophane. It wasn't, it wasn't something that you just got. You had to go and you had to farm it. You had to till it. You had to grow it. You had to plant it. You had to, you had to take it. You had to slaughter it. You had to do all of this work. And so much of their time and energy was spent on, for me to live, I got to eat. And for me to eat, man, there's got to be a lot of work that's involved in that. So much so that some scholars believe that about 85%, at least 85% of any income that they received was going directly towards food. How do I eat? Whereas for us, a lot of times when we have our finances in 2022, we're thinking, what else could I spend my money on? Maybe with, I don't know, something from Amazon Prime or from Walmart or from Target or whatever it may be. And so we're not thinking, we're not as concerned about the food situation and scenario. But for them, they're like, man, this guy just filled our stomachs and he's helped our pocketbooks. 
He needs to be our king. He needs to be the guy that's kind of leading the charge. What else can you do for us, Jesus? And so they're, they're genuinely excited, but they don't realize that what he's giving them is a temporary fix. He's giving them the fix of physical hunger or financial gain. And so they come to a point, though, where they have this question in verse 28. Uh, you're going to be using your scripture today. It's not going to be on the screen because we're going to be jumping around. In verse 28, when they ask him, what do we do so that we may work the works of God? Like, what do we have to do in order to kind of be on the good side of things, to be kind of in God's grace or favor so that we'll continue to be filled and our pocketbooks will continue to be taken care of? What do we got to do to keep this good thing going? And what Jesus says to them, and he actually already answered it in verse 27, he says, you guys need to get off of the temporary fix, off of the temporary food, get your eyes, your heart, your stomach, off the physical and onto the eternal, to the spiritual. I'm trying to get you off of this plane and onto a greater plane. So his answer to them of what do we do comes in verse 29. He says, you want to do something, here's what you do. <laughs> this is the work of God. It's not a work, it's faith that you believe. And friends, we're guilty of this as well. I got to do something because I, I, I erred in a way and I want to make it up to God. And God is saying, just believe. Do you have faith in me? Do you believe in Jesus whom God has sent? That's the answer. You want to continue to enjoy, if you will, kind of this gravy train? Then you need to believe in the one whom God has sent and it's Jesus. Their response to Jesus when he says is just believe in the one he has sent. Basically in verse 30 and 31, they're like, well, why should we believe you? What, what have you done? Prove yourself. And my answer to that, just as someone who's reading this, you know, 2,000 years later, is he just took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed all of you. Like, what else does he have to do to demonstrate just supernatural power and deity in this moment? But what they want to do is they want to get into kind of a Bible study. And they're like, well, what did, what did you do? Because we're going to play a comparison game, because this is what Moses did for us back in the Old Testament. And so they bring up the story out of Exodus, and, and we'll get to that in just a second, but, but they, they're like, man, that was supernatural, but what was really supernatural was when manna came down from heaven. Like, that, that was supernatural. And Jesus basically says, okay, if we're going to go there, let's go there, because all signs point to me. That was really just a foreshadowing of what I will ultimately fulfill in your life. It's not happenstance that Jesus is like, oh, today I'll feed them, you know, with, with bread and with fish. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, so that he can teach and point people to the one who's come down out of heaven. And so he says, okay, you want to talk about bread? Let's talk about bread. And so we're going to talk about bread this morning. First thing, if you're taking notes, let's look at the source of the bread. The source of the bread. For them, the source of the bread came out of this passage in Exodus chapter 16. Now this might be on the screen for you. And so Exodus chapter 16, what we find yeah, I'll just read it from here. Excellent. Okay, so in Exodus 16, you know the story. If you've been at MPA, you definitely should know the story. If not, that's just on you. And so this is the point where Israel has been enslaved by Egypt, and uh, God raises up Moses to deliver them out of their slavery and bondage of Egypt, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai, uh, the whole Red Sea thing, all that's gone on. And at this point, the people begin to grumble. Though you've delivered us, God, we're hungry. And they're thinking about their stomachs. They're thinking about their food. And so it comes to this point where the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven. Notice it doesn't say manna. Manna hasn't even shown up yet. He's saying, I'm going to bring bread from heaven. You might have heard that many times in that passage that Jesus just, just, we just shared. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them 
whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Let's go to the next verse. And then verse 15, it says, when the sons of Israel saw it, that finally the, the, the dew kind of uh, uh, dissipates, and in the early morning, they begin to see these little flake wafer type things. And they literally, they saw it and they said to one another, what is it? And that's the Hebrew word for manna. That's why they called it manna. They're like, what is it? That's the name that they gave it. And they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Now, was it really bread? No, no, no. Bread was a, was a synonymous word for food and more synonymous with life because food meant life. It meant that you were going to be taken care of. And they say, this was supernatural, Jesus, this crowd in John chapter six. That was the source of their supernatural bread. What are you going to do for us? And what Jesus comes back and he says, the bread in verse 33, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. He says that in verse 33, 38, 41, 42. Uh, you got it uh, in the later passages, 50, 51. Time and again, what Jesus is saying is this. Yes, the manna that came down from heaven to our ancestors, to your fathers in the book of Exodus was supernatural. But just as more and more so is the fact that I have come down out of heaven. He's declaring his deity. He's declaring that he is supernatural. He's declaring his preexistence. He's declaring his eternality. He is eternal. And because he is, he's capable of, yes, providing for us in the here and now, the temporary, the physical, but more importantly, he's able to provide for us in the spiritual and the eternal. And I know for a lot of us, we get focused because we have health issues. We are hungry. We have financial things. But Jesus is saying those aren't unimportant, but man, let's get onto the bigger thing. So for some of you today, as life is going on, and I get that real life is going on in some of you in, in your lives and, and real physical issues are taking place. It's not to diminish those, but continue to look, look beyond those to what Christ is providing through faith in him to where even if, the, even if the death comes, he's defeated death. Like you have victory in Christ. And what's interesting about this is this source of bread, the bread that is Jesus, is in the same way in, in, in the Old Testament, they actually grumbled about this. Look at verses 41 and 42 of John 6. When Jesus is sharing about all of this, that he's the bread of life, they begin to grumble. They're like, who is this guy to basically say all these things? And in verse 43, Jesus understands, man, don't grumble among yourselves. He, he, he's even referencing back to the book of Numbers. In, in Numbers chapter 11, we looked at this just very recently in, in our MPA, but in Numbers chapter 11, uh, it says the rabble who were among them had greedy desires because they're tired of eating the manna that is supernaturally provided to them. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We're tired of the manna. We want some food. We want some meat. Go to the next verse. It says, we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. Oh man, that was good stuff. If we could go back to Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks. I don't even know what a leek is, but it sounds awful. Come on, guys. And the onions and the garlic. This is like Doug's nightmare. And so, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. I'm sick of looking at it. And all of us are like, man, those Israelites, so stubborn. Have you ever had to deal with like leftovers for like a week? 
and you have someone who loves you dearly and is like, we're not cooking anything else until it's all gone because we don't want to waste the food. And I'm like, I just want something else. I've looked at that casserole. I've eaten that casserole. I've had that casserole for lunch and for supper, for lunch and for supper. I need something else. I want a leek. I want a garlic. I want an onion. I need something. And what happens is, is they're in a similar state of, man, is there something else? But here's where they have to kind of come back to their perspective in that Old Testament story in Numbers is they need to recognize, buddy, you're in the wilderness. There's not a supermarket. And you're complaining of like, man, if I go back to Egypt, yeah, I would be a slave again, but I'd go back in a heartbeat for the food. Like it was so good. It's like you're free. And you're not having to do anything for the food that you're eating. God is just providing it for you. And how often are we like, God, I know that you've done this for me, but what I really want now, and we, we don't, I think, mean to, but we just seem to treat him like a genie in a bottle. And what I mean by that is we know you're powerful and supernatural, but because I hold the lamp, I have the power. We may not say that out loud, but that's how we're behaving. Do my bidding, do my will. We're not recognizing the supernatural work that God is doing in and through our lives. We can be guilty of this. Thank you, Lord, but now I need that. (laughs) Uh, We start looking for life in all the wrong places. They were looking for life of, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Is there something in your life right now that you're thinking, that, that will give me the fix that I need. That will satiate me right now. What in your life right now that you know And we're not talking about food, or maybe it's food. Maybe it's drink. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a pill. Maybe it's a hobby. But what is it in your life right now that you're saying, man, I need more of that, then I'll be satisfied. If I could just have that. On a sillier note, to kind of make point of this, you ever watch those Taco Bell commercials, and you're like, man, that looks so good. Nacho cheese fries, that's real cheese, right? And you're looking at that and you're like, man, it looks so good. And, you, and they got it all doctored up and it's this sweet commercial and you're like, ah, I, I, need to get, I need to get some of that. And there's been multiple times where I'll get into that Taco Bell line and I'm even saying to myself, Stephen, you've done this before and you know that you're going to eat this. It's not going to taste that good. And then you're going to feel bad later, not only about yourself emotionally, but also physically. Like you're going to have a hard time with this. And yet you, res- you stay in the line because you justify, well, I'm in line. I don't, I don't want to get out of line. Like I've made my way to get all the way over here now. And so I don't, I don't want to, you know, waste my time. And so you stay in that line like, well, I know it's like seven or eight bucks when it should really be like $2 for the quality that they're giving me. But that's, that's, that's beside the point. I'm going to enjoy this. It's going to be delicious. And then you begin to eat that burrito of who knows what's inside of it. And you're like, I, I feel really bad about myself. And you just keep eating it. Because we think it will satisfy, because there's been a picture that has been promoted to us that this is good. I've tasted and seen it's not good. It's empty compared to what could be from an authentic Mexican dining establishment. We want the real thing, not the imitation. What, what are you feasting on? That is just an imitation of what is, what is completely satisfying and good for you. Let's go to the source of the bread. It's Jesus. And his source is he is, he's come down from heaven. 
That means he has, <laughs> he is, uh, I don't want to say FDA approved. You know what I mean? He, he is 100%, like he's the real deal. He is going to satisfy. So that's the source of the bread. Let's look at the sustenance of the bread, the sustenance of the bread. Bread itself, bread provides life, it's sustenance. Bread is synonymous with food. It was the key staple of food in that day and time to kind of relate it to today. I've been in Southeast Asia when I've been to the DR with, with Revision and with, with Doug and Janice. Whenever I've been down there, if you go there or you go to Southeast Asia, the staple in this day and time is rice. They're going to eat rice with probably just about everything. If not, that's their only thing that they eat. It's rice. They don't get a little, they don't get a leak. They don't get a little bit of extra meat. Like they're, it's, it's, it's crazy the idea of them being able to eat meat. But for us, because of where we live and we are blessed and we're not going to, you don't need to feel bad, but you do need to recognize your blessings. So you thank God for them, but recognize that for the majority of the world, like a large population of the world, even today, but definitely throughout all of history, it was generally, I got this one staple food. For a lot of them, it's rice. But in this day and time, it was bread. Bread was the thing. That might be all that they would have for a meal. Maybe some fish. But generally, it was, it was just bread. And the Israelites, whenever they are wandering in the wilderness, as we've seen in Numbers and Exodus, they're hungry. And so they not only want hunger, help with their hunger pains, but when, when God is supernaturally providing them that manna, he not only meets that temporary need, which is good, he meets that temporary need of that hunger that they need to have satisfied. But you know what God is also meeting in that moment while they're wandering in the wilderness? He's providing them hope. He, he, he's providing them this reminder that God is with us. God is the provider. God is the sustainer. God is the one who provides life. And when you look at verse, verse 49, Jesus reminds the people in John chapter 6, he says, the fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. It was good. It was supernatural, but, but they still died as a result of it. We still need something greater to not just help us in our temporary life, but our eternal life. And so in, in verse 34, he says, he says, they say to Jesus, they said, Lord, give us this bread. Like always give it to this. I want this. I want life. And again, I think their focus is more on the physical, the temporary and time and again, Jesus is stating that the real sustenance of life, the real life that can be found is in me. Three different times, verse 35, verse 48, and verse 51, I am the bread of life. Those who come to the bread of life, those of you who come to Jesus, you will not hunger. He even says you will not thirst because Jesus is the bread of life. And so as we, as we kind of come to an end here, I, I just simply have a question of, okay, so what? A lot of you have grown up in church. A lot of you have even probably heard this story before. You're like, so what, Stephen? I get it. Jesus is the bread of life. Can we go eat now? Here's some so what's. The first thing is here, here's the warning. Not only here is the warning, but I need you to listen to the warning of Jesus. Look at, look at verse 36. He's just said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And then verse 36, this is the warning. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. How remarkable is that? Like that is a powerful warning. They've seen Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, and they don't believe. My warning to you is don't miss Jesus. You could come to church for a long time and go to Bible study after Bible study and you miss Jesus. Do you, do you, do you remember that bread factory I told you about when I was a young child and driving by it? 
Uh, <laughs> I could smell it. I, I, could, I could even see it. But that was as close as I got. I got to experience some of the outward signs and manifestations that there was a bread factory in our city and in our midst. But I was never able to taste and see that it was good. I never experienced the bread. I never received what it was designed for, designed to offer. Some of you, if you're not careful, you're, you're around Jesus, the study of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the people of Jesus, the culture of Jesus, but you've never believed in Jesus. Again, one of the most terrifying statements that I find in Scripture is in Matthew 7 when we went through the Sermon on the Mount where he says, depart from me, I've never known you, you man of lawlessness. And people are like, but I did this in your name, that in your name, and that in your name. It's like, I don't know you though. So this is just a moment to where it's not caused you in any way to doubt your faith, but it is to follow the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, that you would examine your faith of, is it genuine and true in the true source of life, the bread of life, Jesus Christ? Because if you don't believe in him, you do not have eternal life. And it's not just a mental assent, and it's not just an emotional response. It's, I know him. I heard one story of a guy, I thought it was a great, great example of this. He, he was driving literally through Oklahoma chasing storms, and he wanted to, to see the tornado, and they knew that a tornado was about to form. And if you've ever been in Oklahoma along I-40, there's this corridor where tornadoes just like to show up. And this guy was just driving through, and he's driving through, and he's with his buddies, and they're, they're, they're trying to track this storm, and they hear on the radio that the, the tornado has landed down between mile marker 90 and ni- mile marker 89. Like, it's just, it's right there. And they, they drive by on 40, and they're like, through the rain and through all the wind and everything, like, there's mile marker 90. We're getting close. We're getting close. They bust through that storm. But they never actually saw the tornado. They experienced the effects of it. It wasn't until later that night that they're watching the news, and they see their little white vehicle drive by along with I-40, and they're like, Man, we were so close, but we missed it. We didn't get to actually see it. I would, as, not just as a pastor, but I would say hopefully as a, as a child of the king, for you to sit in this place under the teaching of God's word and not know that you know that you're in Christ is just heartbreaking. Because I know you've been here and you've heard the truth, but have you received the truth that is the person, Jesus? He is your life. So th- that, that, that's a so what. That, there's a great warning there. Maybe it gives you motivation personally or gives you motivation for someone that is on your list that you've been praying for, that you live, work, and play with. And you're like, man, they have to know Christ. Not about him, but they have to know Jesus. And they don't know Jesus until they encounter Jesus. And I am their encounter of Jesus because he lives in me. Here's another thing, another so what. Here's the hard truth to swallow. Verse 53 through 58. This is that section of scripture that a lot of times are like, can we not have Jesus say, eat my flesh, drink my blood? It's not the biggest crowd pleaser. It seemed to be that uh, I've heard one guy say his disciples are like, Jesus, not this one again. We're getting a good sized crowd and this is gonna make them scatter because this is weird, Jesus. Like, why are you asking people, telling people that if you don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, that they have no part of you. Like, it's, it's weird. And so as he's doing this, I think a fair question that's asked by the crowd in verse 52 is they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, they're genuinely confused because what he's saying is kind of confusing and shocking. 
But again, they're fixated on the, on the temporary and not on the spiritual and the eternal. They're not seeing the picture that Jesus is articulating here. And what we find is that in that day and time, because again, we're foreign to this for the most part, is they didn't go to the supermarket and find their chicken or their steak or whatever it was packaged for them. They had to go out and they had to, to kill it, slaughter it in order to eat it. The same was true even if they were going to go and harvest barley in order to make loaves of bread. And that's, again, kind of foreign for a lot of us, for all of my life, maybe all of yours, or the majority of yours. But do you recognize, even if it's, and I made sure about this with Tiffany last night because she loves plants. I was like, even a plant is living. You know that, right? But in order for us to enjoy that plant, that plant has to die. In order to experience the life that it can give us, it has to die. In order to be able to enjoy that chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, that chicken had to die for you to live. What Jesus is communicating here is, he's not saying to literally, he's, he's speaking symbolically here, speaking of in, in eternal terms and picture terms. He's saying, he, he's not only saying, eat, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's saying, I have to die in order for you to live. If I don't die, you can't live because something has to die in order for something else to live. Marvel at the fact that even here in John 6, Jesus, he has a, just an appointment and a destiny with the cross of saying, I'm going to the cross because if I don't die, you can't live. That's his great love for us. And so when he says, I am the bread, that means he's going to be broken. When I'm the blood, it's going to be shed. My life for you. It's remarkable what he's saying here. But yet again, they have a hard time with this. You're just going to have to look at it in your scripture because I didn't want to just have so many verses up on the screen confusing you. But look at verse uh, 60 in John chapter 6. It says, after they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? I would agree. It was kind of a hard thing. But in verse 63, Jesus is speaking. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you Note, he's saying they're spiritual. They are spirit and are in life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jump down to verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples, he had a large crowd of followers, not just fans, but followers. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. This was a hard truth for them to swallow. And they said, we, 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 we're not on board anymore. It's too much. Here's another so what. We see the hope. The hope. In verse 37, this is the hope. I mean, if we would believe, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, because I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. What did he send him to do? To provide life. This is the will of him who sent me, that all... And of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. You want to know what the will of God is? Here it is. God, what is your will? The will of the Father is that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And if he wills it, it's so. If you would believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. And you don't have to worry about losing it because God will keep you. He will raise you up in the last day. He's not going to lose you. He has you. 
Verse 43, it goes on. Excuse me, in verse uh, 43, Jesus said, uh, verse 44, excuse me, he says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him near. And again, I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 47, he who believes has eternal life. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's another so what. Um, I just kind of let this bread sit here for a while. I even tried to heat it up in the microwave and try to make the aroma smell. It didn't quite work. But again, whenever you think about the idea of Jesus and his allowing of his body to be broken, you can even kind of picture just the idea of like the breaking of bread and you think of like the breaking of his body. Whenever we pour out the juice, you think of the spilling of his blood. And what's interesting about this is when you get into the New Testament, when it speaks of them breaking bread, oftentimes it meant sometimes communion, a lot of times. Other times it meant having a meal together. And the reason why I share this is because in that day and time, much like today, having a meal with someone is, is kind, of, kind of a big deal. It means that you're willing to have fellowship with them. You're willing to, to be with them, be seen with them. That's why whenever uh, in our small groups, the whole reason why we structured the way we structured everything wasn't so that way we would give you a break every other week. That wasn't the intention. The intention was have Bible study, but there's also a lot more than just Bible study and living life together. It's fellowshipping, it's breaking bread. That's why on those weeks where we're not having formal Bible study, that's why it's like, hey, those in your group, go, go have a meal with them. Go out to eat after church on Sunday, because that's how you begin to know one another, is when you break bread with one another. And so what I thought of was this idea that when we break bread and we remember Jesus, not only are we getting the source of life to sustain us for eternity, the breaking of bread also represents fellowship. You have fellowship with Jesus. He's more than just, and though he is, he is your savior. But we know from scripture, he's our friend. We know that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. We know that he dwells within us. Like we have fellowship with the creator of the cosmos because you have chosen to believe that he has come down from heaven because he is the son of God and that he was willing to break his bread and shed his blood that you might have life. Have you received the truth and believe in that Jesus? And so last thing of so what? Here's the practical truth of it all. Look at verse 67 of chapter six. So Jesus says to his 12, after all these people have walked away, he looks to his 12. He says, you don't want to go away also, do you? And I love Simon. He's the best. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have, note, believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even when it got difficult, they recognized you're better than anything else. Even though you may not be cult popular with the culture and with all of our buddies, I'm still not walking away from you because you have life. Friends, some of you have gone through this and some of you will go through this and some of you are going to go through it again. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through moments of fear and frustration and doubt of where are you, God? God, this is hard or God, this is uncomfortable or whatever it may be. And we struggle with that. But even in the, the moments of where I've experienced pain and grief and loss and some of it, you know some of the story, 
I can remember literally sitting on my couch just weeping and just, just, just crushed over the loss of what we were experiencing as a couple. And I can just remember as I would wrestle with the Lord, I continued to say, though I don't understand, I still choose Christ because I can't go through what I'm going through without Him. I need Him even though I don't get it. I choose Jesus because He's the bread of life. He gives me life and sustenance and hope and fellowship. And so the bread in the wilderness provided physical life. The bread of Jesus provides everlasting life. And I love that this isn't giving the uh, specifics of the Lord's Supper. He hasn't instituted it yet. That, that doesn't happen until later in the Passion Week. But during the Passion Week, the night before his crucifixion, the night that he's betrayed, he says in Matthew, it says that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, says, take, eat, this is my body. And I began to think about this idea of the bread of the wilderness and the bread of Jesus. And I just wrote this down. The bread in the wilderness is broken by you. The bread in the wilderness is broken by you. It was supernatural, but they had to go out and collect it. And in Numbers, it even talks about in Numbers chapter 11, verse 8, that they would have to break it and grind it, and they would do different things with it. They would gather it, boil it. But what they found was that it was temporary fulfillment. Even Jesus said, they ate of this, but they still died. You're going to hunger again. That's the bread of the wilderness. It's not bad. It's still good. It's still provision from the Lord. There's a lot of good things in this world that God provides for us to enjoy, but it's, it's not the Lord. But the bread that is Jesus was broken for you. And there's a huge difference between those two. You can enjoy the bread of this world. You can. They enjoyed it when they were in the wilderness. They needed it. But what we must have is the bread that is Jesus, the person that was broken for you to provide you no more hunger and eternal fellowship. So just simply, you can't be satisfied. You can't be content in this life or have eternal life unless you have the bread of life. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. So very simply, as we're about to sing, my question to you is, what gives you life? Like, what gets you up in the morning? Is it just, I'm going through the rat race and this is what I do? Are you looking for things in this world only for a temporary fix or solution? Or is your source eternal? Because it will change your perspective and it will change your navigating through this world when we get our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who came down, who is eternal. But my other question is not just what gives you life, but what sustains you? What keeps you together when everything else around you is falling apart? Because we've all been there. If you haven't, we're in a fallen world. There's a good probability that things are going to fall around you and it's going to get difficult. What sustains you? Who, who, who's holding you together? Is it just sheer grit and will? Or is it because you have hope in the one who defeated death? And you get to have sweet fellowship with him, even through tears. Oh, he's good. The final question is, again, to make no assumptions, even a group like this, where I've heard so many of your stories. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Because that's the word he used. Have you believed in the one that the Father has sent to be your source of life? Is God the Father drawing you to himself? even in this moment? If he is, if you feel the wooing of God 
not an accident. And so much more than a goosebump and a feeling is it's the creator coming after you, his creation, that you might have life. You might say, well, what do I do? You respond right now in faith and belief in Jesus that he is the only means of eternal life. And so what you do in the next few moments as we sing is entirely up to you. You might get up and go through the motions. And can I just tell you, if you do that, you're just kind of getting a temporary fix. You got your check mark of coming to church today and you did all the things. But maybe, just maybe, for just a moment, our eyes are fixed on the eternal, on the supernatural, on Christ. For just a moment, we get real with God and with Jesus. And we begin to really evaluate, man, are you, am I truly tapping into you for my life? Not just eternal, but even now to be fulfilled and sustained. So as they sing, maybe the worst thing you could do is actually sing. And the best thing you could do is just cry out to Jesus. Thank him. Confess to him. Maybe you need forgiveness of things that you've turned to that do not satisfy. But man, spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time with the eternal one before you leave this place and do your next thing. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would choose to encounter the living God, you, in all your glory. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand again, however you feel led? And if you'd like to pray with someone, maybe you, you just, you just want to pray with somebody. All right, I would love to pray with you. Just come visit with me. We'll pray together. And we'll spend some time talking to the bread of life. Take the time that you need where you're at.